By the way, while we're transitioning a little bit here, just want to let some of you know, if you're fairly new to us, and you heard in, in Brother Rich's uh, prayer this morning, uh, that at some point here, um, every pastor becomes an interim pastor. Uh, nobody, nobody stays uh, in the pastoral role forever, and uh, I don't plan to either. And, uh, but I just want to let you know, in case you are new, you wonder, what, was, is it going to be leaving uh, next week? or No, not even this summer, next summer. We're trying to get plenty of opportunity and let a, a good uh, learning time together and to get things right to make the best of that transition. So I'm a, you got me for a while, so I'm still, you're stuck with me. Uh, so if you're just wondering about that, uh, if you're new to us. All right. We are, last week we celebrated the resurrection and we had a special message for that, still available on live stream uh, and uh, YouTube. Uh, but we're back now this week in our ex- consecutive expository series in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I'm subtitling it um, that uh, the, the Gospel uh, according uh, to Luke. And uh, that's the, uh, at this time, our scripture reading, we're going to start at Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37. Hear the word of the Lord with careful attention. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think provided, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among 
the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word abides forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, once again, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, whom you have sent to reveal all truth to us. Father, help us to understand what this parable is really about this day. Father, may it make a difference in the way we live and the way we love our neighbor. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Many of you are familiar with the well-known relief organization named Samaritan's Purse. Of course, you know it's a Christian humanitarian aid organization led by Franklin Graham, son of the more famous Billy Graham. But the words Good Samaritan don't occur in our story, although down through the ages it's referenced as the good, that parable is referenced as the Good Samaritan. But you see, back in Jesus' day, the word Samaritan was a byword, a word that was not wanted to be heard. It was a something that brought disdain. And for most Jews, the only good Samaritan was a dead Samaritan. Now in our day, often this parable is simply taken in a kind of general moral sense. Something kind of like, if you see someone in a ditch, go and help them out. Be a good Samaritan. Kind of like somebody basically saying, remember a number of years ago, people talking about doing random acts of kindness? That's how a lot of people think about this and think what this passage is all about. But that concept is far from what was on the mind of a certain Jewish lawyer. Luke tells us that he wanted to put Jesus to the test. He wasn't there, Rabbi, I'm here to learn from you. I really, I, I, I'm really confused. I, I, I know I don't have, have this thing right. I, I don't really understand my Bible well. I need you to teach me. No, no. He was there to show off. He was there to one-up Jesus. And Luke tells us so, to put him to the test. Now, we've seen that before, haven't we, in this series? If you've been with us in the Gospel of Luke, how many times already have you seen people trying to put Jesus to the test, trying to trip him up, trying to make him look bad so ultimately they can get something and get rid of him? 
We've seen that kind of throwdown that's about to happen. This guy is, he thinks, ready to take on Jesus. He is an expert in his field. He is a lawyer by credentials and trade. And he has been waiting for his turn, licking his chops to get some of Jesus and put him in his place. Now today's outline goes like this. Notice the, the passage title or, or the, the outline, I mean the sermon title, is the conversation. The conversation that takes place between this lawyer and Jesus and the back and forth. So here are our three points. The conversation that confronts him, talking about the lawyer. Secondly, the conversation that concerns him. Getting a little warmer for the lawyer. And then finally, the conversation that condemns him. Let's see how that unfolds. The conversation that confronts comforts him. At this point, this lawyer is feeling pretty good about his stake in this throwdown with Jesus. Have you ever been in a classroom, say in maybe in high school or, or junior high or college or whatever, have you ever been in a setting where someone asks a question but it becomes very, very obvious very quickly they're not really asking a question. They're showing off. They already know what they are going to say. They're not learning anything. The question is not to obtain knowledge in that case, but to demonstrate the knowledge that he or she already has. You've run into that, uh, whether it's on a debate stage or, uh, or just in life. There's that person that always wants to show you how smart they are. Now, no doubt, here is this young, well, we don't know what his age is, but here's this lawyer, and he's brimming, overflowing. Effervescence is just pouring out of him. He's confident the lawyer finally gets to ask his question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? That is a big question, isn't it? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? That is an important question. But it's being used as a tool by this lawyer. You see, the lawyer has come to trap Jesus. So often, people tried to do that to Jesus over and over again, and Jesus quickly and effortlessly flipped the script on this lawyer. 
lawyer thought he was in the, the catbird seat. He was driving the, this thing. And all of a sudden, Jesus turns it around on him and flips the script. The lawyers come to trap Jesus, but Jesus traps the expert and basically puts the challenge onto him. Jesus asked him what role, essentially, did the law play in the kingdom of God? Well, he's in essence saying, Jesus is in essence saying to the lawyer, you're the lawyer. Tell me how the book reads. You tell me. And the lawyer was, of course, what? All too ready to show off his understanding of the weightier matters of the law. Because he quotes Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. And Jesus says, after he quotes it, he gets it verbatim, word for word, right. He's nailed it. And Jesus, kudos. You memorized the scripture well. Must be a navigator. Right, Jack? (laughs) Must have been an early form of a navigator. They were all of all the Christian groups in college. They were were the most serious ones about uh, learning the scriptures and memorizing the scriptures. Uh, So, But Jesus isn't through. He adds one more important point. He says to the lawyer, do this and you will live. Uh Uh-oh. Problem. You see, Jesus is essentially saying, go for it. If you think that's the way to get you where you want to go, you've already told me where that is, then get on that horse and ride it all the way. Go for it. But then in his mind, there was an unsaid but felt by the lawyer, not not in print, but he was beginning to connect the dots. Something like, good luck with that. Hope it works out well for you. All of a sudden, he's getting warm uncomfortable. Now, he starts out in comfort. He's got this. Now, he's beginning to get a little concerned. The second point is the conversation that concerns him. At this point in time, our lawyer friend is losing his comfort quotient and starting to have concerns. There's a splinter in his mind 
because of what Jesus has said. And the lawyer blurts out, tell me who my neighbor is. He's getting a little bit, he's already been doing some calculations and he's not liking where this is going. And so, our forensic friend is heading down the rabbit hole, but he doesn't know it. He doesn't have a clue. And now it's Jesus' turn to tell a story. A parable with some unimaginable elements in it. Remember, I've already told you that. There's no way in a good Jewish setting would a Samaritan have any role, let alone being the hero's role. Listen to what Jesus said in verses 30 through 35 of our text. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I Come back. Now, when Jesus was finished with this parable or spiritual story, our lawyer friend was feeling very, very uncomfortable now. It's gone from bad to worse. He's haunted by the question. Who is my neighbor? I want you to listen to John Piper and his analysis of this. He says, another way of asking the lawyer's question would be, teacher, whom do I not have to love? Which groups in our society are exceptions to this commandment? Surely, The Romans, oppressors of God's chosen people, and their despicable lackeys, the tax collectors, and those half-breed Samaritans, surely all of these are not included in the term neighbor. Tell me just what my neighbor is, as long as it's not any of those, teacher, that as I examine various candidates for my love, I will be sure to choose him alone. 
See what he's doing. Like all of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in that time had become so corrupt, had lost their way and did not understand at all. They were thinking that this can all be boiled down. Just make it doable. Be real righteous about it. Real showy about it. But just get it down to where we can with some difficulty do this. That's what they thought would be enough. But of course, they could get rid of all of these things that Piper just said that they would not want to be neighborly toward. But you see, Jesus is on a different plane. He's on a different plane. You see, all three men saw the hurt man. The priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. But only one was compassionate. What we are determines what we see. And what we see determines what we do. Think about that. Let me read it again. What we are determines what we see. And what we see determines what we do. You think about that. Now, third is the last part of this section. The conversation that condemns him. He's gone from being comfortable to being deeply, increasingly concerned by Jesus' story and its implications. Now, the conversation that condemns him. Jesus cuts the story off with a penetrating question. Which of these three? He's looking at the lawyer. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Well, the answer was obvious, though it must have stuck right here in his crawl. Uh, I guess the Samaritan. Can you imagine how hard that was to choke that down? But he, Jesus had him. He had, he knew he had to say it was the Samaritan. You see, the answer was obvious. But his self-righteousness could not stand the truth that he was being forced to swallow. The whole incident began with a man asking how he could inherit eternal life. Nothing wrong with that question. A very good question. A lot of people should be considering it. But in the end, this guy 
wanted to know how he could earn it by his obedience to the law. How he could pare down the standard of God's righteousness to something that, though difficult, would ultimately be manageable. And Jesus has gone and smoked his whole system. You see, after Jesus defined his obligation to neighbor love in the broadest terms, there was an unasked question still dangling out there. Basically, do you still want to depend upon your obedience to the law to get you there? Is that that what you're still banking on? Mr. Lawyer, after what you've seen and what I've showed you and told you, are you still trying to justify yourself? Jesus knew that was the truth. And that's exactly what he was doing. And Jesus knew it. And he knew that Jesus knew that was the chariot he was riding. Listen to Ralph Davis. Um, I've told you many times that I love to, to quote uh, Ralph. He said, let's be sure we pick up on the emphasis of Jesus. A lot of other people reading this passage, they get, they get off on the Samaritan and, what, and how to do good and all that. There's a place for that. There's an aspect. But that's not the real bottom line of this passage. Let's be sure we pick up on the emphasis of Jesus. We can miss it because we tend to get all sentimental over the Good Samaritan. And what a nice thing he did. And what a brave thing. And what a generous thing. And we get all filled with gooey thoughts of our neighborliness. And we miss what Jesus is saying by this parable to his questioner. You do not have life. You ask me, what do I do? You don't have it. Because you think you can do it yourself. You can get yourself there. You don't need me. You don't need anyone else. And therefore, you do not have it. We forget that the story was not first of all told to give us an example to follow, but to expose our lovelessness and lead us to repentance. That's what it's for. That's what that high and unimpassable mountain of law is meant to do. Expose our lovelessness and lead us to repentance. The first note of the parable is not, here is what you should do, but here is what you do not do. You don't do it. 
The good Samaritan does not preach to us our duty, but reveals that we have not met that duty. Listen to what I said. It doesn't preach to us our duty. There's a place for that. But this here does not do that. But it reveals that we have not done our duty. We have not loved our neighbor. We have not. We have not. We have not. We have not. This guy thinks it's still manageable. Or at least he did. Jesus ends the conversation with a challenge. You go and do the same. You go and do the same. Like this guy that you despise, the Samaritan. That you consider worthless human being if he is that. You see, he knows that the man, Jesus knows, he knew that this man could not consistently uphold such an impossible standard of righteousness. Perfection in all of our thoughts, words, and deeds is what God demands. Every hour, every day, always. Without exception. Jesus' challenge puts all hope of finding eternal life by works completely and utterly out of reach. You see, the demand is higher than you can imagine if you're going to try to get there like this guy was going. And like so many other foolishly believe, they can make their own version of it. They can get themselves there. Jesus might as well have stayed where he came from. They didn't need him. They didn't need a Savior. Listen to Mike McKinley's take on this too. It's, it's Really, really good to hear also. In the end, we do not understand Jesus' parable until we put ourselves in the proper place in the story. We tend to read as if we are only meant to find ourselves in the people who pass by the helpless man. But, When we step back and look at the bigger picture, we see that we actually bear more spiritual resemblance to the helpless man dying by the side of the road than to the Samaritan. From that perspective, we can see that Jesus is the true good Samaritan. He came to us while we were still his enemies. He met us when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. 
He fulfilled the requirements and paid the price so that our soul's wounds might be healed. It is only by trusting in Christ's death and resurrection for us that we can ever inherit eternal life. That is the gospel, brothers and sisters. And there is no other version of it. There is nothing you can add to it or take from it. It's all been done by another. And his name is Jesus. And if you ever are going to be with him in eternal life, it will be not because you did it or accomplished it, but because he did it and said it is finished. And he takes you where he is. All because of grace and unmerited favor. You see, then, my brothers and sisters, only when we understand this truth, that that is the all-important question. That is the only way to find eternal life. Only when we understand it will we be able to truly then extend ourselves in real, true love to those in physical and spiritual needs around us. You see, if we're trying to do it to get there, we're lost. But if we know we're already there because of Jesus, we know we're not good Samaritans. We're failed and flawed in every way. But because Jesus has made everything else no longer the issue, we can now, with our weakness and our frailness, begin to step out into love with greater sincerity, with greater not defining the terms. Jesus has loved you, child of God, believer in Christ. Jesus has loved you. He's redeemed you. He's saved you. And he's prepared a place in heaven for you. Now, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Amen? Let's pray. Father, oh, what a wonderful, wonderful story. A parable that is so misunderstood. And the big point is, is often lost. But Lord, we do ask it would cause we who follow Jesus and who trust in him and believe in him and look to no other righteousness but that which he himself has brought in Christ. 
Lord, help us more and more to free us because we don't have to any longer. It's been done. Now we can do, love, serve. Help us to be free because of the gospel, to love better. We pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.